What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. This has been the most tense podcast I have ever done. Kevin Sherrington. You're working on typewriters this time. Barry Horn. I don't even know who you are anymore. Where were you last week? Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we'll be talking about colleges. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the college Ballsy with a Z podcast. Yes, we're in here for another edition of the Ballsy Podcast. I'm Sean Bass of Sports Radio 1310 and 96.7 FM, The Ticket. In studio today with Kevin Sherrington and Evan Grant of The Morning News. And right now on our phone line, we need to talk a little college football. So we're joined by Chuck Carlton of The Morning News. We are, what, 10 days away or so from the college football cranking, uh, college football season cranking up. And we have plenty to talk about. Chuck, thanks for the time today, sir. Hey, glad to be with you. Uh, and as you said, uh, uh, you know, college football actually uh, a head start. They're calling it uh, week zero, including a game in Australia. So oh, wow. we'll have football down there, including in addition to all these college basketball teams touring down there. <laughs> well, then, good day, mate. Uh, okay, off the top, we need to talk about something that happened on Monday as we record this on a Tuesday morning. Uh, the great Frank Broyles passing away at the age of 92 after a, a battle uh, with Alzheimer's. Uh, great career on the sideline for the Arkansas Razorbacks, leading them to their only national championship in 1964. Obviously, uh, many people around here know that he coached both Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones on that 64 team. And then many other people know him for his uh, work in the booth alongside Keith Jackson on Saturdays in the fall of years past. Uh, let's just uh, just your initial thoughts about uh, the a legend moving on. And we, we've actually seen a couple of uh, big college football coaching deaths here lately. Yeah, uh, Eric Parsegian as well. But in in the case of uh, of Frank Broyles, I mean, you talk about a you know a service to a state and a state university. I mean, Frank Broyles came to Arkansas uh, in 1957, and he stayed there as either you know as first as head football coach, then football coach AD, then AD through 2007. So you're talking 50 years of service. And then seven more years in affiliation with the university. That is just a long, long time. Um, I mean, some, you know, they talk about, you know, some of these coaches fading away. Frank Broyles never faded away. I mean, you know, there are people who still remember him for what he did in the, you know, the 60s and early 70s as Arkansas's football coach and the great shootout and, 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 and that sort of thing. But a whole lot of other people remember him for, Things like hiring Nolan Richardson, getting Arkansas into the SEC, upgrading facilities there, you know, that sort of thing. And then there's a whole generation of people who, you know, the voice of Keith Jackson and Frank Broyles just scream <laughs> college football, for crying out loud. So you're talking about a remarkably full life. Yeah, you know, he was a, a very interesting uh, man to me you know, for a lot of reasons. And I, I asked him, I had many conversations with him over the years, I asked him once why he went to Arkansas, and you know, because he'd been at Missouri, and that was a, a big, that was a good job, obviously, to get that, especially back then at the time. Um, but he left after only one year to go to Arkansas. 
And uh, what he told me was that I wanted to go someplace where there was nothing else, you know, no pro teams, no nothing, where, where the, the college football team would be number one. And certainly Arkansas fit that bill. And, and he took full advantage of it. I mean, Arkansas, with all due respect to Little Rock and other schools in that Arkansas state, Arkansas is still the university in that state. And, um, I mean, you know, and just a number of people. Uh, you mentioned um, Jerry and Jimmy, another guy who he coached and then was on that staff of that uh, 64 national champions was Barry Switzer. Yeah, you, you talk about kind of the tentacles and the umbrellas that Frank Broyles had, and and all the other people. Uh, you know, some you know high profile people who played for him or assistant co- you know assistant coaches who who went on. I mean, uh, it, it's a pretty remarkable legacy. Joe Gibbs was on his staff at one time. Uh, of course, Ken Hatfield played for him. Uh, that was the thing that kind of you know he and Daryl Royal were great friends, and they even vacationed together, played golf together, as you noted in your. Um, a bit today, and uh, but one of the, the differences to me between him, well, there were uh, several differences between him and Royal, uh, but but one of them started with the fact that that if you look at Daryl's staffs over the year, uh, the the singular great coach, and, and and you could say that Spike Dykes qualifies as well, but it was Emery Ballard who invented the wishbone. Uh, but most of the the assistants that that Royal had over the years were guys who uh, Fred Akers was on his staff uh, as well. But we're not – it was more or less dominated by him. Whereas in Frank's case, he was more of a CEO, had a lot of great uh, coaches on his staff, guys who went on to great careers, uh, in, in not only coaching in, in college football but in the NFL. And that was one of the main differences. Also, though, the fact that when they both retired after that 76 season, which I don't believe they, – they would both say that they had no idea the other was going to do that. I, I, there's no way I believe that. I think they knew that they were going to both do that. Uh, but Daryl basically called it quits. He was uh, the de facto, uh, or at least he was the, the, the AD in, in name only. The rest of the time, he was playing golf. Uh, whereas Broyles played a lot of golf and was an excellent golfer, uh, but he probably made a greater impact, as great a coach as he was, as the athletic director. And as a broadcaster. Oh, oh, and as a broadcaster, I mean, he, he had an, an entirely – separate career from the coaching aspect and, and you know we're talking about era we, we mentioned era parsegian um you mentioned daryl royal uh, frank broyles of the three had the most distinguished career post coaching yes. yeah yeah um, absolutely and i want to ask you chuck uh, about this because all three of those guys got out young they won big early got out young of coaching and of course uh, frank had the great quote and you included that in your old bit as well when he said if you coach past 50, you die a coach. Um, but there were a lot of coaches from their era who did, who won big and, and who never got out, and they, and they remained coaches for a long time. Um, do you have any theories as to why that was, that those those guys in particular decided to do that? Uh, I think with each one, you have to kind of look at their personal makeup. And, um, you know, I, I never – Eric Persegian was clearly gone before my, my time and that sort of thing. But – from the standpoint of, you know, I had an opportunity to talk to him at the uh, at the Common Ball Hall of Fame induction ceremony, and just reading about Parsegian, he was a guy who went from coaching Northwestern, coaching at Notre Dame, the first non-Catholic to be hired as the coach at Notre Dame, when, when Notre Dame had become almost an afterthought in college football. 
you know, from the Frank Leahy era to when Parsegian came in, it had just been a rough road for, for about a decade. And Parsegian just threw everything he had into that program and, you know, got it back to the national spotlight. But with that national spotlight came a whole lot of stress. And it's one of those things that I think in Parsegian's case, he was just burnt out after a while. You know, he, he was just ready for, he got what he wanted and then he decided, this is just too much, you know, well, you know, you know, too much, you know, Pepto-Bismol, too much waking up in the middle of the night, all those sorts of things. I think in Daryl Royal's case, unfortunately, it was, he was, he was pushed out. It was the losses and to Barry Switzer, the recruiting, um, trying to go head-to-head with the juggernaut north of the Red River. I think all those things played a role in, in, in Daryl Royal. I mean, it's it's interesting. I've seen on, on the Longhorn Network that, that final game, Texas and Arkansas, and Keith Jackson is working solo on that, doing a great job of reporting. But at that point, Keith makes it pretty clear that, you know, Daryl's got a, a, a hand in his back a little bit in terms of being shoved out, and Frank Royal's going to have that. I mean, yeah, he, he didn't have great success late in his career, but he won 10 games the year before, and and he moves in, you know, to the AD situation and just embraced it at at Arkansas and made it his own. And and like I said, got them into the Southeastern Conference. Seemed to be. I mean, the one thing that I chuckled at that only Jerry Jones would point out in his comments about Frank Broyles when he's you know, which are probably about two thousand words, and, and quoting Jerry, he first developed the concept of priority seating for football and basketball games based on financial donations to the program. That's the sort of thing Jerry Jones would look at and go, you know, this is the lifeblood of a whole lot of college athletic departments right now. But Broyles was a guy who seemed to just thrive into that role. I mean, Parsikin did TV, and he was he was solid at it. But, but Broyles seemed to have not just one, but two great careers after coaching. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, one of the things that the, the stories that Broyles used to always tell was that when he and Daryl first started out and they would go to the Southwest Conference meetings and he said they would, they were both young guys and uh, on the way up and, and they would come out of the meetings talking about how all those coaches had were just lazy and, and wanted to play golf and, uh, and they were just going to outwork them. And he said at the end, he said, it was, he said, Daryl and I were complaining about all the coaches in the conference, but we were saying that we were the guys who just want to play golf and get out. Uh, I, I think that uh, I think that that was certainly part of it. You know, the landscape had changed in recruiting, them, recruiting restrictions and and uh, scholarship limitations, and and that had changed uh, college recruiting. And also, Barry Switzer had changed college recruiting for for both of those guys, for Daryl and for Frank. Uh, and so they were ready to, to move on. I got one, one last thing about. Uh, I, I do think. I mean, I think Barry Switzer had the biggest hand in the end of both of their careers. Oh, I don't think there's any question about it. You know, and the funny thing was is that uh, you know, of course, you know, Barry played for for Frank, uh, and I and I think they had they had a good relationship over the years. Certainly, a much better relationship than Daryl had with Barry. I mean, they had zero. That was about as as much animosity as there's ever existed between those two program we hope to have barry on again um yeah he's in italy we're going to have him on this week but he's in italy but Uh, you know you start looking back over the last 50 60 years of college football and there hasn't been there haven't been many coaches who have been more transformative of the game than than barry switzer i don't think 
No, I mean, certainly he uh, he did a lot of crazy things. You know, we had another death recently of a sports runner named Frank Boggs who worked, who worked here in Dallas and uh, worked in Oklahoma several different times. Uh, he also worked in San Diego and Denver and uh, who, who uh, once was involved in a big investigation at Oklahoma in the 70s along with Jack Taylor. And uh, several years ago, uh, Frank Boggs was quoted as saying, I covered four professional football teams in my lifetime. The Dallas Cowboys, the San Diego Chargers, the Denver Broncos, and the Oklahoma, Oklahoma Sooners. Sooners. <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there's no question that uh, a lot of things happened uh, in, the, in that time. Hey, before we move on from, from Broyles. Yeah. Um, and we talked about Broyles and Parsegan. Right. And, you know, I, I'm just going back and, and refreshing my memory here because a lot of this happened way before my time. But I'm, I'm checking the... Uh, the encyclopedia of everything that is accurate, Wikipedia. Wikipedia, there you go. Yeah, and which so, is changing by the minute. And but we, you look at Broyles and you look at Parsegan. Broyles had applied for that or sought the Northwestern job after the 1954 season when he was still at Georgia Tech. Did not know that. And Parsegan ended up with the job at Northwestern. That's pretty crazy. Isn't yeah, it? it is. And it, Broyles it, had one year at Missouri before taking the yes, correct job. He correct. did. And went five, four, and one. And then, uh, and then they often both worked with Keith Jackson on different games on on ABC. So yeah, it it, it is weird how that kind of happens. So they have a lot to talk about up in heaven. Yes, they will. <laughs> there you go. That's a very nice way to spin that, Sean. Thanks so much. All right, let's move on to Baylor because uh, they're making news. And Chuck. Uh, and I not get, heaven. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step away from that. I'm not going to make comments about a Baptist college there you and, go. and uh, tie heaven to it. But uh, Matt Rule, looking for a culture change. There's going to be some questions about the offense. He built a great defense at Temple. But he's trying to move away from i guess from the art briles era that uh it just still has them wrapped up in scandal and now we get this latest revelation from a book that came out that apparently the uh, bears program was able to avoid some random drug testing in years past and in some ways if these allegations are true and and clearly this is sourced through regions who were um and and one region who was kind of the point guy with pepper pepper hamilton on this if you if you look at the reporting on this, um, and and again, if this is true, and some former Baylor players are pushing back, saying, "Well, I remember you know peeing in a cup, you know, why we're we doing all that for if we were eluding drug tests, all these sorts of things." So that it's going to be a little murky. But if you know the the loose ship that included a blind eye to sexual assault, is anybody surprised that perhaps? There wasn't the greatest attentive, attentiveness played to <laughs> drug tests, no. and, and, and that if you if, if the NCAA or whoever goes down there and starts kicking over rocks, maybe you might find some NCAA violations as well. I mean, you look at the whole thing is the you know you can't just say well yeah Art, Art Bryles was sending text messages basically trying to you know keep a lid on the sexual assault or or, or look the other way, but yeah he was writing you know. He was on top of all the other rules. No, that, that just wasn't the case. And it does make sense, given the kind of second-chance athletes Art Browse was, was bringing in, that yes, but drug tests would not necessarily have been a high priority at that time. And, and I I always kind of step away from this stuff and and look back, because I've, I've got, I guess, a simple mind, but... True. I'm looking back now, and I'm, I'm looking at the Baylor-Art Bryles era, and, and I'm wondering... Is he going to go down as one of the dirtiest coaches in football history? 
I mean, I, the guys that come to my mind in, in that in that vein are Jackie Sherrill or Charlie Pell. Does he fit into that? Into that? You know, it's a, it's such a different, and it all came to a, uh, a head so fast. You know, it wasn't like uh, there was a long series of allegations against. But this Art isn't Miles. just cheating. No, no, no. I know that. I I, I know what you're saying. This, I mean, this is the guy that thought he was going to get jobs that very next year, be it in, in an with an NFL team or another program, and now he is. His name is Mud. I think right now in in, in the coaching sphere. Well, the most interesting thing to me about all this is that I, I don't understand, and Chuck, maybe you can explain this to me. The, the regents, of course, there was about 400 of them. Uh, and uh, so and every and all the all the uh, the people like uh, Drayton McLean and uh, and the late Mark White, uh, who were mounting these challenges against the border regents and trying to get more information and wanting a release of the of the full Pepper Hamilton report. But I, my feeling always was that these people wanted that because they thought it was cover, they were covering up for themselves. The regents were, and they wanted those regents held accountable. Whereas for me, from what I can tell, maybe one of the reasons why the regents didn't release all this stuff is because, oh, my gosh, you wouldn't believe what's in here. And we just got what we needed from the Pepper Hamilton report. We could summarize a few of these things, and that'll be enough. And then we're out of here without completely. We can move. We can just it. move on and close this chapter. Yes, and and so I think inadvertently these people who have been clamoring for this uh, a, re- a full release of this report are going to re- end up regretting this. At least the Baylor people are. What do you think, oh, Chuck? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I first of all. Uh, you look what Art Bryles had accomplished at Baylor. I mean, Art Bryles was clearly at the top of the food chain at Baylor. Two consecutive Big, tw- uh, Big 12 titles, almost done in the college football playoff at Baylor, considering what had gone on for, you know, in the 20 years between Grant Taft and, and, and Art Bryles. And for the Board of Regents to look at what Pepper Hamilton came up and said, we got to get rid of this guy. That tells you that... That was just the tip of the iceberg in that 13-page summary or whatever it was from Pepper Hamilton, and and that there had to be a lot more there. And and I think the Baylor Regents just said, okay, we've got enough here. Let's document enough stuff that we can justify our position, but let's not self-immolate ourselves. I mean, it's one of those things where I, I do think there was a whole lot of other stuff there that simply um, wasn't, you know, that that – we haven't heard about yet, and and I think, quite frankly, uh, Baylor is going to have to settle these court cases to avoid these things coming out under the latest uh, judge's ruling that the Pepper Hamilton is report at least some aspects of it are not bound by attorney-client privilege. Yeah, that that trial is not due until October of 2018. Can you imagine another whole year of this stuff? How much more might come out? Oh, in my gosh. Year? And, Chuck, with all of that still pending and all of these things lingering, and I, I know the fan base is just waiting to mentally move past all this, looking at it realistically, isn't there a ceiling for Matt Rule and what he can do? Because this is obviously going to affect recruiting. This is obviously going to continue to affect the perception of the program. Even if he's doing everything right, do you feel like that uh, the fan base is going to accept, I guess, a certain cap of how much he can succeed considering all the things that are, are going to negatively affect his program, even though he probably has nothing to do with it? That's a great question. I mean, I like Matt Rule a lot. I, I you know, Let's face it, we never know 
in 99% of the time, whether somebody we're talking to is a good guy or a bad guy, just on how they interact with the media and, and, and that sort of thing. I mean, we, we jump to conclusions, and it's just not the case. I mean, although I would put former Texas AD Steve Patterson in that 1% of, <laughs> of <laughs> Yeah, at least he was uh, honest people, about being a jerk. Yeah. But from that standpoint, rules is saying, stressing all the right things, saying all the right things. Uh, I, I like the fact that even you know he has a little bit of a pro background too. Um, he's totally uh, divorced, kept from kind of the Texas football culture, but he's embraced it with his hiring. All those sorts of things. But you look at what he did at Temple; it took time, and, and he takes chances on kids. He he takes the you know, the walk-on kid and sends him to the NFL, the two-star kid, the kid coming off injury. Those are Matt Rule kids. Those are character kids. Here's my question is, I think if he gets to six wins in a bowl game, he's done a heck of a job this year, but especially that, with the decimated, but the decimated offensive line. The, but would that appease That's everyone. the question. The, 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 there's a certain group of Baylor fans that show up in my timeline a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter, that I get the feeling, oh yeah, we we want to win the right way, but only you know, but we want to win. That's the thing for me. They still want, they they still want ten wins from Matt Rule, and that's just not going to happen anytime in the next couple of years. And they, there could be some rocky times. And and, and how's the fan base going to react to that? Well, and that's the thing, Chuck. And 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 the fan base may just be may just be that and care only about wins, but. I don't even think it's about winning the right way right now for Baylor. I think it's about playing the right way. I mean, th- this scandal is pretty insidious at this point. It, it It's as bad as we've seen in college football. How long? Oh, it, it, Ever? It, it, it's terrible. But but from the fan standpoint, Prince, you're, Prince State. You're, you're talking Prince, about Prince State. You're yeah. talking about T-shirts and flags at the game last late last year. You know, basically paying homage to Art Bryles, right, right. Uh, amidst all of this ter- these terrible things. That yeah, they got to get their heads out of their the, butts. Yeah, they they are not. There's a strong. They want to win the, more than anything, and that's the only thing that matters. Right, because, to a good and, and again, part of that is because Baylor was always looked at as the small school, the, the stepchild. You know, sure. Well, yeah. but also to me, this is part of the problem at Baylor is that this self denial is because of the piousness of the of the of the population. These are people who be, are true believers and believe that, of course, we're going to do the right thing. And I, I, I can tell you how many people I know and respect who just think the world of Art Browse, or at least they did, because Art could talk a great game, you know. And I think that these people wanted to believe that he was. And you never bought into Art Browse. No, I never. I, I, you know, he, he, the, something about him always just. Even when he was at your school. Yeah, at Houston, you know. Well, and and, and I don't, I, it, it started with. The fact that he told me the story once of, of when his parents and his aunt were killed in an automobile accident on the way to see him play in the Cotton Bowl for U of H, which is obviously a terrible story. And uh, and he told me that he had never talked about that uh, with anybody. And, and I, after that, heard him say that three different times <laughs> to different people. Yeah. After he, he keeps, talked about it. He yeah. keeps, keeps telling the story and saying he's never talked about it. Why, why would you lie about something as simple as that? Sean? I just... I just look at the Art Bryle situation and the fan there that you know was was so down downtrodden for so long. Then they have this amazing success. They felt like they were doing it the right way. Those people probably don't, even though all this stuff is so terrible. And I'm sure some have denounced what Bryles and his staff did as far as turning a blind eye. I think some are so caught up in their own 
their own head thinking, look, I have to, I can't go back and say this was wrong because I enjoyed it yeah. so much, and I would have yeah, so much sure. personal regret by, by backtracking sure. on something. Well, I think, and, and, I mean, and, Kevin, and we're not only seeing that in college football right now. No, we're seeing every, that in, in a lot everywhere. of pockets of the world. And, 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 and I think Kevin hit on the right word. I think there is there is still a level of, of self-denial at, at Baylor. Oh, and, absolutely. And I do think that as we continue to see more and more, there is going to be more of a shift eventually towards we've got to grieve over w- what's happened at our university and then we've got to move on but well you got to remember they've had two of the worst scandals in ncaa history uh, yes the basketball program yes. let's not forget about that and the football program yeah. the and murder those, of a player is kind of significant yeah and the and the thing you had a coach trying to who still to this day says that you know that it was all over drug deals and things and, yes. and lied about it. so when you've had two of those marks against you and you can still Play this game like, hey, we're we're better than all that. That's where we are. Uh, that's, that, that, that's where we are as a society. That's not just you're a, right. just an athletic and you're right. academic institution. That's that's big picture. Because I want to tell you something. You know, Grant Taft never had the success that Art Browse had, but they were very successful. They were very good. They they won a couple of Southwest Conference titles, and and when they had done nothing for the thirty years before that, so he'd done much of that same thing. And there was never a feeling in that era like this one. Not right. with Baylor fans. Not with anything, and 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 I think some of that has come comes from the fact that you know you got this brand new beautiful stadium, which it is a beautiful stadium, awesome. mm-hmm. and, and and that it was going to usher in a, a, a new era, an era of extended. Well, we can do whatever yeah. we want to do here, and now it looks like it almost looks like a monument to yeah, a little corruption. bit, a yeah. little bit. All right, Chuck, we got one last thing we want to talk to you about, and that is John Sharp, uh, the uh, president of Texas A and M saying that he is all on board with playing Texas again. So this that once again, I know people keep telling me, oh, it's just you sports writers who are interested in this. Clearly that is not the case. So tell me, is John Sharp going to make this happen? I think he's going to try, and I think the most telling quote, uh, beyond you know how great the game is, how great it would be for the fan bases, how uh, you know j- just what a great deal would be you know if you – Go down, you'll see, and just imagine the money we could make off of this. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you, you go home and home, and you set the tickets like, you know, premium seating. You set it at like um, two hundred bucks a head, knowing that people are going to pay that. You know, uh, for for Texas Texas A and M, you go home and home if you can. I mean, the, the the key thing for me is just you know. These schools now have scheduled out till like 2024, 25, and, and, you know, buying out these contracts can be messy. It, it, it can be done. But, you know, and just syncing it up, the fact now that, you know, uh, of trying to work both conference schedules, I mean, it's going to take an awful lot of heavy lifting here. And, and I think one of the uh, 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 key things, one of the people apparently pushing this on the Texas side uh, you know, Bill McRaven, the chancellor, may not be there at the end of this year if you believe the way uh, Texas politics are. Mm-hmm. And nobody quite knows how Greg Finvis, the Texas president, feels about this. Mike Perrin comes from an Aggie family, but how much authority does he have? So there's a whole lot of moving parts here. I, do I think it eventually gets done? I mean, John Sharp is, is a pretty savvy politician. I think he was the last Democrat elected to statewide office. In, in the state of Texas. So that tells you something. But, uh, and, and, and certainly the incentive is there with the money. And it would be great to see, but can you do this 
on a year-end, year-out basis and lock that into a, a, a schedule the way things are now. It's got to happen. Chuck, what kind of ramifications would this game have for the future of the Big 12? Obviously, it's not in the best state right now. It, it's be it down with talent or just the perception of, of the league. What would this – I mean, obviously, Texas holds so much water within the conference. What would the renewal of that game do as far as, you know, big picture for the entire conference? I, I mean – you know, if you can have, you know, the best outside games you can have right now. I mean, uh, but is this going to have that much more impact on the conference than, say, Oklahoma playing at Ohio State, Texas playing at USC, maybe a little bit, maybe definitely in terms of recruiting, if Texas wins. If Texas doesn't win, then it could be that double-edged sword. I mean, and, and again, we're talking five, six, seven years probably in the future. I mean, the earliest, what, 2020, 2021, and, and that's if everything falls into place. Um, I, I mean, the one, you know, ray of hope right now for, for the Big 12 is that recruiting seems to be taking off. I mean, Oklahoma is knocking on the door of being in the top 10 in recruiting under Lincoln Riley, and, you know, and they were always solid under Bob Stoops as well. And, and Tom Herman right now has number two ranked recruiting class behind Ohio State. And I know people say, well, Charlie Strong had some classes, too. I'm willing to give Tom Herman the benefit of the uh, the doubt right now in terms of talent evaluation, in terms of what he's trying to do, and a whole lot of energy uh, being brought into the Texas program that hasn't been there since, you know, the the early stages under Mac Brown. So definitely give the Big 12 some credit on that. Plus, if you get Texas and Oklahoma clicking on all cylinders, as they were for most of the uh, last decade, then if if a Texas Tech jumps up as Texas Tech did in 2008, uh, or if an Oklahoma State, you know, which has maintained a pretty consistent program, all of a sudden that's your your number three program, you know, or, or TCU or whatever, or or West Virginia. All of a sudden, you have a clearly defined pecking order. Plus, Texas is that one school that in terms of a talent deficit. You know, people saying all these good players leaving the Big 12. Texas is one of those teams, you know, Gary Patterson is going to change the way he recruits. Mike Dundee is going to change the way they recruit, and all of a sudden it's land top five classes. Texas can land top five classes. That's important. All right, Chuck, we're going to let you go. I'm just I'm going to have the last word on this. Go ahead. And I'm just going to say this has to happen. I, we can sit here and explain it all day, but financially it's a, it's a windfall. The people in the state want it. It's, yes. It is a tradition. Yes. If Florida can play Florida State on an annual basis, if South Carolina can play Clemson on an annual basis, if Georgia can play Georgia Tech on an annual basis, there is no reason why this can't continue. And that's why I think it would be great for the conference moving forward because just this is the heart of the conference, the state of Texas. And, it, and if that fan base is fired up and stoked by something like this, that can only be positive moving Absolutely. forward. Absolutely. You Chuck, look forward to that every year. So, Chuck, we could talk hours with the season approaching, but we got to let you run. We got uh, some other big name guests we're going to have on the podcast this week, but you have uh, brought some great insight today, and I can't wait to talk to you again, sir. Yes, and regarding Texas, Texas A&M, remember the uh, the old line uh, from uh, from Watergate: "Follow the money, follow the money on this, and we'll eventually have a renewal of Texas, Texas A&M." There you I have go. a feeling. Into-
Artichoke. In terms of that. Hey, glad to be with you. I'm sure you're going to have much bigger name guests than me. No, 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 no nothing bigger than I Chuck Carlton. I don't think that's possible. Hey, thanks for the time. All right, there he goes. That's Chuck Carlton of the Morning News. College football season is about 10 days away, and it feels really good. We're probably going to talk more college football next week here on the Ballsy Podcast. Uh, be sure to uh, tune in, favorite us, do all that stuff on social media. Also, this week, we're going to talk Texas Rangers with the uh, – uh, the former face of the franchise and future Ranger Hall of Famer Michael Young, the all-time hits leader for the franchise. We're going to talk about an interesting club that uh, somehow hanging out on the fringes of the wild card. And then later today, we're going to talk to David Moore, who's in Oxnard. We have the Zeke suspension. We have a preseason game to look at and just all the cowboy chaos moving forward. So please tune in. Thanks for the time, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to our College Ballsy Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see ya.